Street veteran Bernard Madoff has been arrested and charged with running a $50 billion Ponzi scheme. Congress wants to know what caused the Enron meltdown. Now, well, the collective rage currently is focused on Wilcom. Tyco CEO Dennis Koslowski was convicted of looting hundreds of millions of dollars. This is one of the biggest fraud cases ever. Their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. Find out more on this week's episode of White Collars, Red Hands. In 2013, the movie The Wolf of Wall Street premiered in New York City. An enchanting story about Jordan Belfort and his lust for success. It was a long movie, and those three hours didn't stop hundreds of people from flocking to the theater to see the masterpiece. The movie grossed $392 million. It was Martin Scorsese's. I can't say his last name. Scorsese's. I can't say his last name. (laughs) It was his highest grossing film. And you get to see Margot Robbie naked. But although the film seems wild and unimaginable, it is very much a true story. Today, we cover the story of Jordan Belfort, a man who is said to be calculated without morals. Someone said that about him. An extremely talented businessman who, quote, could sell ice to Native Alaskans. They didn't say Native Alaskans, but it's a slur. I had to say, I was like, this already sounds a little racist, so... <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay, hold on. We'll talk about that in a minute. A man who is admired and hated by so many. We are going to do a deep dive, deep dive into his empire built on massive fraud. Find out how it was all done on today's episode of White Collars, Red Hands. The episode no one was asking for because Martin Scorsese made a three-hour movie about it. Nah, I'm joking. We did. But there were some liberties taken. Yeah, I was like, we're throwing our hat in the ring, okay? Yeah. You know, it's like this, it took us... We, uh, 70 whatever episodes. Yeah, and then we finally were like, you know what? Let's do it. Let's do Jordan Belfer, okay? Because yeah. he is one of the best known fraudsters ever. We've covered a bunch yeah. of the other ones. We might as well do him. And I don't know about you, but before this, the only thing I knew about him was the movie. I didn't read the book or anything. No, I didn't read the book. So I'm sure the book, but he wrote the book, right? So can you even trust it? Um, I think we can trust parts of it. The parts, of course. Yeah. But all I of think, it? No. Um, you said this feels racist, but I will say that Mar- um, that Jordan Belfort says that he is only racist towards lazy people and stupid people. Oh, well. Those are the only people he's racist towards. In an interview, he said that. Someone should tell him that's not a race. Um, unless, he he did, thinks, unless he thinks it's a race, and then that's just racism, but actually. But I did watch an interview with him where he was flat-out racist. So, Oh. There we go. Well, great. I So anyone who was still on Jordan in Jordan Belfer's corner... He's racist. Get out of it. <laughs> I don't think anyone's really in his corner except I, for himself i don't know i feel like there's definitely some people that are like jordan Belfort's like the he's he's the alpha male it's anyone who watches oh andrew, yeah no, anyone who he, watches andrew tate unironically is also in love with jordan Belfort. i did not know who that man was until like a week and a half ago oh well welcome to hell and then this <laughs> very hot man who i had matched with on a dating oh, app follows no. him and i want to know why because you know why? No, I don't. Because Andrew Tate does post a lot of fitness stuff. Because I was like looking through his Instagram, 
and it is a lot of fitness stuff. So I don't know if this guy was like, oh yeah, he like posts, he's like, Ugh. There's heavy no, stuff. There's no way you follow him for that one thing and you don't know all of the other things about him. I'm going to ask him. I have nothing to lose. He I, lives four hours away. I guess that's fair, yeah. But let's get back to Jordan Belfort. Born oh, in... First, we should introduce ourselves. Oh, yeah. I forgot to do that. Well, welcome. You're the one who always says your name first. Welcome to White Collars, Red Hands. It's whoever's hosting it. Okay, what are you okay. talking about? Don't put, don't put this on me, okay, Ricky okay. Bobby. Welcome. Sorry that I got all messed up. Welcome to this week's episode of White Collars, Red Hands. This is Kashawn Bachelador, and I am Nina Kern. And buckle up, because it's never very cohesive when I'm hosting. <laughs> yeah. Time for a bunch of, a bunch of facts in, in order, for sure. You're not wrong. <laughs> you you said it. Yeah. I tried to be cohesive, though. I try. I try. Well, then we'll see. Anyways, so Jordan Belfort was born in New York in the Bronx on July 9th, 1963. The Bronx! Yes, he was the second born child, and his parents were accountants. Now, having parents that were accountants, he was always hearing about money and profits and stuff like that. So money was in his mind from a very young age. There was always a lot of fear of not having enough money. Um, I do think a lot of that was due to the inflation of the 70s, and he grew up all around that, and they were kind of like what we're seeing now. He was seeing a lot of firsthand effects of inflation on the average person. I about to say, I was like, very very topical. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is very topical, actually. Um, But because at this time the Bronx were very unsafe, the Belforts moved to Bayside, Queens because of the violence and all that stuff. Oh, man. He gave gave the Yankees up for the Mets. I'm sure. The the Yankees are in the Bronx and the Mets are in Queens. I learn something new every day. Anyway. (laughs) Wait, wait, what? The Yankees are in the Bronx? The Bronx Bombers, baby. And then the... The Mets are in the in Queens. The Mets are in Queens. I went to a Yankees game. You don't. You say that like you don't know. You were the one at the game. You don't remember no, was who was playing. It was the Yankees. There's like a big sign on the front that says Yankee fucking stadium. You don't no, remember I seeing that? Okay. okay, I knew it was Yankees. And then I thought I was going to die in the subway afterwards. That might, yeah, that might actually happen. Yeah, I was actually very scared. I was very scared. All right, so anyways, um, it was said that Jordan Belfort was a very unusual child. He often had panic attacks and didn't sleep. It just sounds like he had anxiety. Huh, yeah. which seems to not be how he grew up, though, so that's super interesting. Yeah, um, he was also very, they were Jewish, and he was actually very ashamed of being Jewish, which is sad, but one of the big reasons was because the Protestants ran everything and all the businesses in New York, so he really wanted to be Protestant. So in the in the, the chance that I might be saying the wrong thing, I thought there were a lot of Jewish people in New York, yeah, and I, I thought, thought so that they too. were also very steeped in business in New York. This is what I was finding. Huh. I also thought that. I know there is a lot of... Um, Maybe it's just around where he was or something. Yeah, and okay. I know that there is a lot of Hasidic Judaism in New York, and they kind of like, from my impression of what I know, so if I am misspeaking... They got that whole wire thing around Manhattan. Mm-hmm. That it's like well, that when and you're the, Hasidic, it's like a mark of a boundary of like the living space. Yes, or you can still do yes, stuff in. Yeah. yeah, like they pretty much are like free control over their own area okay from like what i understand okay like they don't go to school and shit it's very 
It, they're they're like Amish, but they're not Amish. Interesting. It's okay. really interesting. But anyway, that's another. The, there's some really good documentaries about it. Actually, I got very. I there was a while you'll, you'll that I went on share, a spiral. You'll have to share and, with me. I give yeah, you Genghis Khan docs. You can give me. Hasidic yeah, and those were not stuff. very good. Just to tell you. Well, yeah, I didn't send boring. you the doc. I just said look up Genghis Khan. Yeah, there is no. If anybody has a good Genghis Khan documentary, I would love to watch send it. it White collar red hands at gmail. Please, please send it. To <laughs> um. Jordan was also very insecure about his body and he was also insecure about being middle class. And um, I do think that this extreme insecurity when he was young made him overcompensate as an adult. And you'll definitely see what I mean later. Like that guy. <laughs> Perfect timing. <laughs> um, it is said that he was a natural born salesman. Belford started business, started businesses very young. He was actually selling ice cream on the beach when he was a kid. And he even recruited his friends to help him sell ice cream. So even at a young age, he was able to have other people making money for him. Man, he was great at creating a pyramid scheme, even at the age of seven. It's he awesome. Was. He was. And at the end of the summer, he ended up making $20,000. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> and when I say young, he was he was in high school. Like, he wasn't, like, 10. But still, also, 20 grand when you're in high school? In the, in in the, the 80s? Yes, or, in the 70s and 80s. Like, what the fuck? That's still a lot of money for it. That's still a lot of money for me. Are you kidding me? I don't have twenty thousand dollars. If I got two, and that's in a summer, so that's like three months. If I got twenty grand mm-hmm. in three months, now I'd be like, oh, I would make some foolish choices. So he made twenty thousand dollars. I it made me reconsider my life and what I'm doing. Drop everything, buy an ice cream truck. That's that is our. We don't often give out business advice here on the <laughs> podcast. My business advice is sell everything you own, live out of an ice cream truck. You'll make twenty grand every three months. Yeah. That song will play in your nightmares, though. Oh my god! He actually used this money that he made to help him pay for college, which was very responsible of him. After his undergrad, he went to school in Baltimore, and he went to attend dental school. Dental school? Yes, he went to be a dentist. Like that little guy in Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer. He didn't last very long in dental school. He left immediately because one professor said at the beginning of the class, gone are the days of making money in dentistry. Did not turn out to be true, by the way. Dentists yeah, still they make, a, make a bunch really of money. good money. Um, but he literally got up and left as soon as the professor said that, because he's like, oh, no, I'm trying to make uh, money. Never mind. Yeah, bye, bitches. Um, his mom was really upset about this because she was the one who wanted him to become a dentist. She had really messed up teeth. She couldn't get an appointment. They're anywhere. jacked. So she was like, you got to you got to go to dental you school. Gotta it's the help only me. way. Well, he's going to dentist school, not orthodontist school. They're he, the ones who do the braces. Well, he could do implants. Oh, you don't get braces as a 40 year old woman. Most of the time they rip them all out and they give you fake Mm. ones and they drill into your mouth. Okay. Anyways, um, (laughs) he started working as a salesman in New York in the early eighties, selling meat and seafood out of a truck. Fuck yeah. Meat salesman. There we go. That's the Jordan Belfort. I know not Jordan Belfort, the nerdy dentist, Jordan Belfort, the truck meat salesman selling T bones out of the back of the car. I think I've, I think I've told this story before, but I fucking hate people who sell meat out of the back of cars. It scares me because, and, and okay, so one time when I was little, I was probably like seven or eight. I will never forget this. 
was at my grandma's house and these guys we didn't know pulled into the driveway and she lives in the middle of nowhere so people don't like just pull into the driveway it's not a suburban area okay she like literally lives next to a cornfield and these guys pulled into the driveway and they opened up their trunk and they had all this meat in the back of their truck that they were trying to or in their trunk that they were trying to sell to my grandma and she was like no thank you and then they drove away was it on ice or anything i'm sure it was on ice but i don't remember and then um my grandma was like, don't ever buy meat out of people's cars. That's sage advice, Nina's grandma, actually. <laughs> Thanks, Carol. Ugh. I mean, even as a kid, I was like, this is sus. Like, we had the trucks that would go, the swan, they were called swan trucks. Yes, but it wasn't a swan but truck. It was literally some it was a guy. Car. It's like someone pulling up in their 2001 Toyota. Yes, he literally had like a Buick and he pulled up and he popped the trunk and he had a bunch of meat in there. Hey, you want to buy They uh, probably robbed the swan truck. Did they look like they were on crack? Oh, sorry. This is next to a cornfield. Did they look like they were on meth? And you know what? I was too little to remember, but they had black hair. That's all I remember. Okay. Or dark hair. Okay. And one guy had a mustache. But anyways, Jordan selling this meat. He quickly broke all the sales records for the meat salesman. So he and a friend ended up setting up their own company selling meat and frozen foods out of trucks. He was like, oh, I'm so good at this. I'm just going to start my own business. And he did. Um, this venture was successful at first when they only had one truck and then they ended up having 26 trucks by the end of it all. And they were selling like 5,000 pounds of meat every week out of these trucks. Holy Toledo. That's That's a a lot lot of of meat. That's two elephants. Did you, did you do this math or do you casually know how much an elephant weighs? They weigh a ton. They weigh two tons. They weigh 2,000 pounds. Okay. That's one ton. One ton. Okay. An (laughs) elephant weighs 2,000 pounds. So that's one, two and a half elephants of meat. Yes. Correct. Do you not know how much an elephant weighs? No, hey, Alexa, how much does an elephant weigh? An elephant typically weighs between 6,600 pounds and 12,000 pounds when fully grown. You're so fucking wrong, dude. Are you kidding me? It's 6,000 to 12,000 pounds an elephant, dude, and you're over here. That's true. You're over here. No, Alexa said it, okay? She's wrong. No, I swear to God. You're so wrong. You're no. just pulling you're pulling things out of your ass, dude. No. I really thought they were 2,000 pounds. You can't just casually oh, drop. That's yeah, two elephants, know. dude. I guess I don't. It's not even one elephant. It's not a small elephant. The females are smaller, weighing between... Oh, wait, that's still... All right, I didn't know. I thought I knew. Oh, man. Okay, so he wasn't selling elephants worth of meat. Maybe a rhinoceros. We're not doing another I'm animal. Not doing it. Um, okay. Anyways, I was wrong. Shocker. All right. But money started pouring in from this business, and Belfort wanted to let, he wanted people to know how rich he was. And he started buying really nice things, including a red Porsche. Hope he wasn't selling meat out of that. I don't think he was. No trunk space. However, this is when his debauchery starts. He started leaving invoices unpaid, and he ended up having to file for bankruptcy. Aha! This is the first crack in the pavement of Jordan Belford's sidewalk. He didn't do crack. He did cocaine. But when he had to file for bankruptcy, it was sad because he ended up getting his Porsche taken away. They repossessed the Porsche. Did he get to keep his meat? I'm sure. I don't know. Okay, cool. I don't know. I didn't ask. Do you have to write... Weird question. Uh, bankruptcy? I just, like, if you declare bankruptcy like this, do you have to like you got to put down all your meat, right? I'm sure. You got to declare meat as. Your I'm asset. sure you have to. I mean, I mean, it's an asset. 
So he could tell everyone, my asset is my large amount of meat. I got all this meat. I would tell everyone. I got all this slinging all this meat over here. the one good thing about this bankruptcy that you could do. Oh, good God. All right. So anyway, he was really sad about the Porsche. Um, But he picked himself up by his bootstraps. He started again. And he ended up going to Wall Street. Casually, like you do. Yeah. Just go to Wall Street. He did. He was like, I can do this. He wanted to be a stockbroker. And back in the 80s, the Wall Street was booming. And New Yorkers felt as if as though Wall Street saved the city from bankruptcy from the recession in the 70s. And so he goes to Wall Street, Wall Street, and he has a meeting. (laughs) Ball Street? (laughs) Wall Street. That's my ideal place to be. Oh my God. Tennis balls, soccer balls. Just don't walk with your mouth open. You'll leave a a bunch of hairs in there. Um, he goes to Wall Street and he has a meeting to be a tra- to become a trainee stockbroker with L.F. Rothschild. And fun fact, in the documentary that I watched, um, it showed an address on Wall Street and it said 666 Fifth Avenue. Hail Satan. And 666 is the number of the devil and money is the root of all evil. Is this Is this a Sunday school lesson you're giving me right now? I just found it interesting. All right. Well, you've never heard that money is the root of all evil? Yeah. Yeah. 666. Wall Street. A kawinky dink? I think not. I mean, I guess if you're going to get close to one of the most evil places on earth, Wall Street might might be it. Yeah. It's up there. So. It's up there. And LF Rothschild, um, it is no longer in existence. It was a banking firm that was in business from 19, from 1899 to 1987. Oh, man. Two years away from a century. I know. I know. It Yikes. missed its mark. Um, one thing that LF Rothschild was doing that a lot of places weren't yet was they were using computers to buy and sell stocks. And that was when, in the 80s, is when that became huge, which I found interesting. Anyways, now we do it all the time, but whatever. Well, now computers don't take up a whole room. Correct. So. Correct. Might be part of it. That's part of it. Um, In the interview, he was asked why he should be hired, and Belfort then sold them stock. Like, he mock sold some stock. And when he was selling this pretend stock to them, he was telling them that the stock was guaranteed to do well. The interviewer told him that that was illegal and that you can't guarantee that a stock is going to do well because you don't know. Jordan... That's illegal. He was also told by the interviewer that he would either be the biggest broker in Wall Street's history or he'd end up in jail. Or both. The episode will tell. He's the one who said that, though, so I'm not 100% sure I believe it. Yeah, that that sounds like something fake. Yeah, that's it. He's like, he told me I'd be the biggest stockbroker in history. It's like, all right, come on, Jordan. I don't know about that. Or he said it super sarcastically. Like, oh, oh, I don't know. Yeah, man, you're either going to be the biggest uh, stockbroker on Wall Street or you're going to end up in jail. <laughs> like, yeah, that's a bit different. It could have been. So. It could. Yeah. Subtext. And, you know, I do think that he I don't think he is very full of himself. So I think that if I think sarcasm in that manner might be missed. Yeah. Just like he said something nice about me. He was like, hell yeah, I'm the best. Fuck yeah. My dick's got abs. Okay. Ribbed for her pleasure. Oh, my God. But they hired him, and he started the next day, and he was introduced to the boiler room. And the boiler room was this giant room that was filled with tons of people selling stock, and it was where all the action went down. And Belfort, what? 
It's where they had sex? Yeah. Oh, okay. Just someone tells him, he's like, this is, the, this is the boiler room, this is where the action goes down. He's like, oh. Starts unbutting his shirt. They're like, what are you doing? Stop that. He's like, I just, you want to see my dick? It's got abs. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen a dick with abs before. You're either going to be the biggest stockbroker on Wall Street. <laughs> I'll show you that I'm the biggest stockbroker on Wall Street. All right. All right. So, Balfort <laughs> notes in his memoir, The Boiler Room. It was a sound I'd never forget, like the roar of a mob, a sound that would change my life forever. It was the sound of young men engulfed by greed and ambition, pitching their hearts and souls out to wealthy business owners across America. That's what he had to say. I just think it was a bunch of like 20-year-old white guys yelling Yelling. into a receiver. Yeah, but he made it sound pretty passionate and beautiful. Good for him. Yeah. So since he was just starting out, he was a connector. And his job was to call the investor or the buyer and then connected them to the actual trader to make the sale. And after several months, he ended up getting his trader's license. However, the stock market fell on October 19th, 1987 by 22% in one day. He got laid off. He did. And when he was looking for a new job, he found a broker's job for penny stocks. Now, penny penny stocks aren't sold on the market and there isn't really any oversight and the prices can be manipulated. That's what I was finding out. Which, we talked about this before, but kind of like junk bonds when we talk Mm -hmm. about Michael Milken. Yep. Is that they're kind of like, they were under the radar, and no one really thought about them, which made them rife for exploiting. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. It's the same thing. Um, Now, this company sold packages of stocks, so they would sell multiple penny stocks at once. So it wasn't like, I mean, obviously. They're not penny stocks anymore. They're they're nickel stocks. Don't lie to me. Yep. Um, In his first month, he made $38,000. And then the next month, he made $70,000. All right. Yeah. I mean, that's just like a couple months of selling ice cream for this guy, though. Yeah, I know. But I feel like it's not as hard work. And in his first year, he made $500,000. Um, so he was doing so well at this, kind of like the meat business. He was like, I can do this on my own. So he partnered up and he went into business with Danny Porush. I think that's how you say his last name. It's, I'm pretty sure it's Porush. Sure. And the two founded Stratton Oakmont. Now this name was chosen strategically to make it sound fancier than it actually was. And some people say that, um, this is like the start of his manipulation of people. Oh, sure. This is the start. Well, it's definitely not the start, but it's not as fancy as it sounds. Stratton Oakmont. I'm going to Stratton Oakmont. They just like walk down like... I will ride the horses. I feel like they just picked up bottles of wine. Yeah. And they were like, they're like, let's just pick like really rich sounding names. Oakmont. Stratton Oakmont. Just like, there we go. Yeah. It's literally, uh... (laughs) It's literally what they did. And honestly, we could probably do a whole episode on Danny Porush as well because he also did a bunch of illegal stuff, but maybe another season. Nice. Um, They moved into a garage on Long Island and started their business there. 
Stratton Oakmont sold stocks in small companies with low stock prices. But what they would do was they approached big players and wealthy businessmen who were able to invest thousands of dollars. So they weren't calling people who didn't have any money. They were trying to reach out to these big business owners and pitch them these ideas and manipulate how it sounded so they would invest more. How did they find them, though? Like, how did they find people and people's numbers that they knew were rich? So, I mean, I don't know how they found them, to be honest with you. Mm. If you want me to be 100% honest. All right. I don't know. I don't know. Had friends in high places, I guess. Um, And what he would also do, and this is shitty, so Belfort would initially took his childhood friends who didn't know anything about finance and approached them first to sell the stocks. Um, He focused on his salesman techniques and he would give his employees, so his friends and then other people along the way, he made this handbook that he wanted them to use when selling stocks called the straight persuasion, I'm sorry, the straight line persuasion system. And that's exactly what it was. They were persuading people to buy these stocks. And this this is related to like in the movie when he's got all of his friends in like the the diner or something, right? And he's like, mm-hmm. "Sell me this pen." Like that's yeah, the, the famous so. scene in it. And then he's, so. he's like, "Oh, I don't it's know. been he's so like, long since I've seen the he's movie." He's got like the and they they they're not doing it right. And I think that's yes. what this is. So he yes. got his friends to sell all these stocks basically out of a garage. Yes, until they like started expanding. Great. Um, and this the straight line persuasion system, it gave anticipated responses to investors and gave the employees a script on how to persuade per- potential investors. And then um, they'd say things like, oh, we only have this many shares left. We have insight with the manager. We know that this is going to be really successful, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So they were car salesmen, but for stocks. But basically, basically, that's what they were doing. And when he like, basically what they were doing also was in that interview that he had on Wall Street when the guy was like, don't do that. That's illegal. You can't like just guarantee that. You know, that the stock's going to do well. You can't tell people this stuff. That's what they were doing. They didn't care. They lied to people. Because they don't know the manager. They don't have insight. They just have these stocks. And they're selling them. They don't know anybody. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they would lie to people. And the tactics were actually really aggressive. And it worked because it manipulated lots of people into buying stocks. They're not doing anything the police can't do. Right. And the business was extremely successful, and after a year, they ended up moving to a larger building. B- bigger than a fuck, bigger than a garage. No, it's like they a could real... move. In, I was about to say they could move into a studio at that point. Well, right. Well, <laughs> depending on the garage, but they moved into like a real big fucking business building. And oh. it, so, 1979 Marcus Avenue is where Jordan Belfort really became Jordan Belfort. And after a few years, he had over a thousand employees. Oh my God. Yes. And he was making millions off of his methods. All right. And the location was actually picked specifically because it was away from Manhattan. And they were able to get inexperienced brokers who didn't know what they were doing really. And they got them to follow these strip these scripts because a trained broker would not go about selling this way. And they would know that it was unethical. And so, and it was also said that he would get guys who were really, really young and grab them first yeah. and get them to start first. Is it still Stratton Oakmont at this point? It's yes. still the same name? Yep. Okay. It stayed the same name the whole time. Oh, the whole time? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yep. And Belfort said, so 
when in an interview, they were like asking him about these strategies and stuff like that. And he said that it didn't really work the way that they were saying it was working. But I don't believe that at all. I yeah, how did you get the money to move in this building? Exactly. If it wasn't working, and he was Jordan. Like, he's like, no, no, no. We weren't manipulating people. We weren't lying to people. It's like, yes, you were. Yes, you were. Don't even say that I, you weren't. Don't we still have copies of the scripts? Like yes. we could just look and be yes. like, yeah, this seems pretty manipulative. Yeah, that's what they were doing. Um, And he was talking about like also in the interview, he was like, no. I wasn't doing that. I wasn't lying. I, you know, it wasn't really as extreme as you're making it sound, you know, stuff like that. But one thing that Belfort used to tell his employees was don't hang up until the client buys or dies. That was something he would tell his employees. So like, yeah, you were being really aggressive. Buys or dies. Yeah. This man just loves rhymes. He does. He does. And many of his employees actually had not passed their brokerage licenses or they had had people take the test for them in their names. The 80s when you could do stuff like this. Yeah. Great. And every morning, Belfort would stand on a platform and he would give his employees a motivational speech, which if you have seen the movie Wolf of Wall Street, you... We'll see this in the movie. This there's a scene yeah. where he's like, actually, I think, I think he does be, it a couple of yeah, times. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. there's a couple scenes where he's like, almost like a preacher. He's like preaching to these people, and they're eating up everything. But every morning he would give a motivational speech, and he would actually call his employees Stratonians, which That's is dumb. so <laughs> weird. And he would promise them wealth, and he would promise them that they were gonna party. They were going to fucking rage. Oh, my God. Honestly, though, sometimes I wish that when I came into work, my boss did get up and was like, and actually could make it convincing when they're like, we're going to have a great day. Sometimes I just need motivation instead of just coming in and hearing the same old shit. And and you know what? His employees ate it up. Like, it worked. It worked. Listen, if you, it doesn't take much to persuade me so i probably would have bought it too but it was like it was really culty and belford even admits that he was like a cult leader and at this time when he had thousands of and over a thousand employees and they were in this big building he was only 28 years old bro he was younger than you yeah he was a year younger than me but because he was a 28 year old dare i say frat boy I felt like he was very fratty. Oh, Jesus, yeah. Um, you can just imagine what the office culture was like. Oh, keg stands, um, w- uh, women in uh, very small bikinis, um, spanking paddles. Oh, well, we'll find out. Perhaps. <laughs> we'll find out how crazy it was. Next episode of White Collars, Red Hands. This is another two-parter. It's a, a, a two-part, so I'm out of town next week, and this just happened to be a long episode, yeah. so we decided to split it up into two. Yeah, it was not the original plan, but I started research, and I was like, Kashan, it's a long one. There's a lot. Surprise! So, it worked out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you've liked what you've heard so far and you can't get enough of us, you should follow us on social media. We're on Facebook.com slash White Collars Red Hands. We're on Twitter at White Collars Pod. We also have an Instagram, White Collars underscore Red Hands. We are now on TikTok. You can watch clips of our um, podcast on TikTok at White Collars Red Hands. Um, 
Those are some free ways to support us. And then other free ways to support us is if you are listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, you can actually rate us. We love a rating. We love five-star ratings, but we also love truthful ratings as well with some ways to improve or suggestions on how to improve. Um, if And speaking of suggestions, we love suggestions. Um, we are actually wrapping up this season pretty soon. Yeah. Sooner this is, than the, I realized. This is going to be episode eight and nine since we're splitting into two. And then we'll have 10. And then this this season will have 11 episodes. And then, yeah. We'll have, a, so, we'll have 11 this So season. after this two-parter, there will be two more episodes and we're done with season eight. That's kind of crazy. So if you have suggestions for season nine, please send them over to our email, whitecollarsredhands at gmail.com. We love fan-submitted episodes. We try to do a fan-submitted episode every season. And so far, we've been lucky enough to be able to do that so if you want to if you hear about something and you want us to cover it please send it our way um also if you want an unfree way to support us we have merch if you go over to our website there is a little spot that says merch you can click on that it'll take you over to pt public you can get whatever you want on there hoodies etc shirts pens coffee mugs mouse pads whatever you want They've got it. And then um, probably the best way, though, to support us is if you really love us, please just tell your friends and family about us. If people are like, Where, I need a new podcast. I'm driving. I need a podcast. What should I listen to? Tell them White Collars Red Hands. We've got so many episodes. They could literally drive across the whole country and listen to them all. Um, I think that's true. Yeah. Yes. Pretty much. It's like 70 hours or more of. So yeah. And if you want to listen to our voices. For seventy hours, we know you don't. <laughs> but but for a, for a they want to listen time. to mine. All right, deal. I'm just kidding. They probably don't. Um, but yeah, that's a great way to support us. And I think that covers it. Yeah, we're uh, we're holding part two hostage until you, yes, you, you. the person listening to this right now, <laughs> does all the things we just said that I'm not going to relist. Yep, you. So join us next week on another episode, the continuation of Jordan Belfort on White Collars, Red Hands. Red Hands.